Good morning, Iowa. The other day, I did a search for weird laws that actually exist. And there are a whole bunch of them, some of which I'm not gonna mention today because I'm not sure Chapel could survive the meme war that would go on at that point. But in Minnesota, there's, or I'm sorry, in Alabama, there's actually a law that says you cannot drive blindfolded. Does that seem, yeah, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you can't, does that seem a bit obvious to you? I mean, if you're not supposed to take your eyes off the road for 10 seconds to text, don't you think it would be just logical that your eyes would always be on the road at least once? But in Alabama, if you happen to drive through, don't wear a blindfold. In uh, Chico, California, there's a law that says they will fine you $500 if you set off a nuclear device within the city limits. Now that law sort of makes sense to me. I mean, who'd want an atomic bomb going off in their hometown? The part that doesn't make sense to me is the $500 fine. I mean, if you set it off in person, what's gonna be left to find? And if somehow you find a way to do it remotely, like, are you gonna say, you know, I'm thinking about setting off a nuclear device because the fine's only 50 bucks. And then you hear they race it to 500 and you go, oh, never mind, <laughs> they're safe now. <laughs> what, 500 bucks? Do you know in Minnesota, it's illegal to tease a skunk? <laughs> I don't know that it's illegal in Indiana, it's just stupid. <laughs> and in Kentucky, by law, a person must shower at least once a year. I'm not sure that would ever be a problem, except I was a freshman here, and there was this one dude in the dorm who, I, if I'd had that law available to me, I would have said, look right here, because I'm not sure he did all year long. Now, I will tell you, I am not entirely sure that those laws are really laws. I found them on the internet. I found them in several places on the internet, but I've heard rumors that you can't always trust what you find on the web. Go figure. So what I want to do today is talk to you about some biblical laws. More specifically, one biblical law. And I will tell you this, whatever you believe about the World Wide Web, you can believe the Bible. And you can trust it. At first glance, there are some biblical laws that seem to make more sense than others. There are some that are easier to obey than others. They're all right. I mean, I'm not, if, if, if they're biblical to us, God's word is true, but they're not all easy to obey. Here, here's one that's, at first glance, not too hard. Do not murder. You know, I'm thank, I, I've never been tempted to actually off somebody. Um, I'm glad it's there because I don't want you to be thinking about it, about me. You know, I didn't like that sermon. Let's see if we can take care of that guy. Uh, no. But then I read the Sermon on the Mount. And I discovered that obedience to the command might be a little more complicated than at first we think. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I tell you, you you've heard it said, don't, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry with someone. And don't hate someone. And we try to argue our way around that a little bit sometimes. It's harder to process for us. I had a roommate in college, my senior year, three of us shared an apartment together. And uh, Sam um, got his clothes ready for school the next day 
every day before he went to bed. Now that doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing to do. Some of you do that, I do that in my life right now. But Sam stocked a grocery store at night and he got off work between three and four in the morning. And at some time between three and four in the morning, he would come in the room, turn on all the lights and get in his dresser and get in the closet to get his clothes ready. And I would confess uh, that anger thing was something that I had to deal with from time to time (laughs) at three in the morning when the lights came on full in the room. It felt reasonable to me. And what I've discovered about our lives is that we tend to explain our way around commands that seem difficult for us to follow. We do that a lot with, that, with the scripture we're gonna to engage today. It's one of those biblical commands that seems impossible and we wanna dismiss it out of hand. We hear it and it's like we go, no way. That's ridiculous. But it's God's word to us. So I wanna engage it with you today. We'll share it and then we'll explore it. Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some translations say do everything without complaining or arguing. And our immediate response is, you have got to be kidding me. We complain about the command that tells us to not complain. It seems unreasonable to us because we complain a lot. It's not just you I'm talking about. It's me that has to wrestle through this as well. Complaining is something that we all have to wrestle with as God confronts us with this truth. I mean, we complain about politics. It's gonna get worse as we go through the next 10 months as candidates complain about other candidates and we complain about them all. We complain about speed limits. We complain about the line at Chick-fil-A. We love Chick-fil-A, we just don't wanna wait in line that long. We complain about professors. Let me let you in on a secret. Sometimes professors complain about students. When the alarm on your phone goes off at six o'clock in the morning, most of us don't think, thank goodness technology works so well. We just go, oh, is it morning already? We complain about that. What we really complain about is if our roommate gets up before their alarm goes off and goes to the shower before they turn the alarm off and then it goes off while they're in the shower and we were planning on sleeping in and, and we can't any longer and that just doesn't happen in residential halls. That sometimes happens in the bedroom with the Bray household. <laughs> and my wife is never a fan of that. Last week, Last week she says from the front row, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. What else? We complain about money. We complain about tuition and room and board. Do you know that IWU is actually one of the most affordable private colleges in Indiana? It's, It's true. You are more likely to graduate on time and with less debt here than you are even from Ball State. But when the bill comes, it feels like a slap in the face, right? We complain about the guy who doesn't shower and then we go home for Christmas and you complain because your sister uses up all the hot water in her shower so your showers just don't win either way. We complain when we have a bad hair day. Some of you guys, I've seen you are like complaining about your future no hair day. 
because it's gonna happen for some of you, did for me. We complain about sermons and song selections and chapel speakers and weather. We complain in the winter when it's too cold and in the summer when it's too hot. I mean, we just complain and complain and complain. And if you're honest, almost every person in this room would have to say guilty. Complaining is a common denominator in life, or, or so it seems. And the Apostle Paul brings us God's inspired word, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Everything. Let's look at the rest of the paragraph. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I wanna just tease out three thoughts from Paul here and see what it may mean to us. The first question is why is Paul dealing with this problem of complaining? And I think, first of all, Paul would suggest to us it disrespects God. Scholars point out that the language Paul uses actually points back to the Old Testament, to the days of the Exodus. Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God for help and God responded. I want us to put ourselves in their place if we can a little bit. You've been a slave all your life. You know nothing else but slavery. You're making bricks for the Pharaoh's building plans. And it's hard work, it's hot work, it's not paid work, you are just a slave. And you're crying out to God and God responds by sending Moses as a deliverer. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God brings these 10 plagues to the Egyptians in ever increasing severity and Moses goes back and says, God says, let my people go. And this time Pharaoh doesn't says no. He says, go get out of here. We can't take any more. And so you pack up overnight and you leave and you're headed out to the wilderness to get away. And you do, you get to the edge of the Red Sea and then you look up and you see the Egyptian armies coming after you and you begin to panic. And even though you're out of Egypt, you're afraid and you begin to complain. Has God brought us to the desert to die? And Moses cries out to God and God says, why are you crying out to me? Hold out that staff over the water and the water splits and you walk across on dry ground, which feels weird to you because you're walking across and there's water piled up on either side and you're hoping that the Lord holds out on that one. You get across on the other side and when the Egyptians try to follow, the water comes crashing back and they drown. Now you're on the far side of the Red Sea you're free, you're delivered, you're no longer a slave. Should be celebrating. I mean, we should be high-fiving each other and fist-bumping each other and chest-bumping each other. And you ever go to the start of the women's basketball games, by the way, they won the other night. Shout out. They, they did something I've never seen happen in the second quarter. They held the 10th-ranked team in the country to zero points in one quarter. Yeah. That's pitiful. Oh, wait. Do everything without complaining and arguing. We should be celebrating. And three days in, they're three days post Red Sea. You know what they're doing? 
They're complaining about water. Not sweet enough, we should go back. The next little journal note in Exodus about the Israelites, about us if we're in their place, comes a month later. You know what they're doing? We're complaining about food, that we're hungry. Even though we're rescued by God, we're complaining. In fact, for the Israelites, complaining seems to be what they do best. They're just always doing that. Seems to be true of the church that Paul writes in Philippi. They complain about each other. They're selfish with each other. They want their own way. They complain about theology. There are a couple ladies in the church that are fighting with each other and people seem to have taken sides. And Paul writes to them and says, instead of arguing about theology, instead of arguing about whose opinion is better, stop, you're God's redeemed people. He's rescued you from your sin. He saved you, he's chosen you, you're his, you're forgiven. But complaining seems to do what you, be what you do best, so just stop. The same message comes to us. We believe what the Bible says about sin. The wages of sin is death. It separates us from God. We believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that he came in human form. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose on the third day to everlasting life, and he offers us life. We believe that the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness, that he will forgive us. We believe what the Bible says, that if we believe in him and receive him as Lord, that we become children of God. We believe that. We believe what the Bible says, that we don't deserve it. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, he chose to love us. We can't earn our salvation. It is a gift from God, and we have, most of us in this space have received that gift and call ourselves Christ followers. So if that's the case, if we are redeemed even though we don't deserve it, why do we complain so much in life? And you say, well, it's because, and you start explaining what's going on in your life that makes it reasonable to complain. But can I let you in on a secret? If God never did one more thing for you the rest of your life, except forgive your sins and redeem you and put you on the path toward eternal destiny, it would be more than you deserve. If God never did one more thing for you except pour his grace out on your life, it would be more than you deserve. We tend to forget that. We tend to get focused on the little stuff we don't like instead of focusing on the eternal blessing we don't deserve. We grab about a roommate and forget about redemption. We grab about a moment that compared to eternity is a blink and we focus on the moment as if it's everything and we begin to feel mistreated in life and by God and focused on the wrong things. We hear God's whisper to stop complaining and we just don't think it's reasonable because you say, look what's going on in my life. Now please understand, as I stand up here to teach this today, I'm not talking as a university administrator whose life would get a lot easier if you quit complaining about chapel and started coming all the time. That would be nice. (laughs) 
I'm talking from the perspective as a spiritual coach and as a mentor and as someone who needs to hear this as well. Um, it's a lesson I'm trying to learn. Complaining disrespects what God has done for us. Complaining disrespects what God is doing for us. It ignores his blessing. And the more we focus on stuff we don't like, the more we see those things we don't like. They get bigger and bigger in our minds and sour thinking begins to sour our souls. And complaining begins to poison our spirits. And that leads us to Paul's second problem with complaining, and that is it limits our spiritual development. Sour souls don't grow. Paul talks about becoming pure and spotless. He writes to people who aren't there yet. They were not there yet and we're not there yet. But here's where it is true. Wherever you are with God, there's more for you. That's my consistent belief. But to become more, we have to focus on what Jesus wants for us. And all too often we're focusing on the junk of life and failing to lean into Jesus. And a self-centered mind becomes less centered on Jesus and less Christ-like. Earlier in this chapter of Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, if you have any good thing from God, any blessing, any joy, any benefit, then make my joy complete complete by being like-minded, by thinking of others ahead of yourselves, by becoming like Jesus who became a servant. Your attitude should be the same of Christ, he says. And that's a growth area for, long, for all of us. As long as we're complaining and not doing anything to make the situation better, we're not like Jesus. Our world begins to revolve around us. We want it our way and we're called to live Christ's way. So here's Paul's third problem. Complaining detracts from our witness, our influence in the world. Let's go back to that scripture. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, there's a reason to not grumble and argue, so that you may become blameless and pure, your life will develop spiritually, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then here's the result of being like that. Then you will shine among them, that crooked and depraved generation, you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul makes the argument that we live in a messed up world that desperately needs hope and that we're their hope, we're their chance. And if all they see when they look at us, God's chosen people, his redeemed people, is a bunch of grumblers, what hope will it offer them? He suggests that radical non-complaining would be so countercultural that we would be like stars in the universe. He invites us to live so that other people, when they see us, would wonder what's going on in our lives, who when they look at us would see the junk that's happening around us just like it's happening to them and try to figure out how do they do what they do? How can they keep that attitude? And cause them to say, whatever they got, I need some of that. That's what Paul is saying. When I consider what the world thinks about the church, I think they look at us and think we're negative and small-minded and angry instead of full of joy, full of celebration, 
full of thanks. Paul looks at us when we complain and just says, stop it. Let me take you one more step. The end of chapter of Philippians, we come to chapter four, to one of my go-to scriptures in life. Paul writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul is not telling us to rejoice in our circumstances. He says rejoice in what? The Lord. Thank you, all three of you. Rejoice in what? The Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, what God has done and what God is doing in our life. And the Philippians reacted like some of us. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And they say, say what? And he goes, I'd say it again, rejoice. The circumstance that we complain about is only for a moment. Eternity is forever. So we need to live with the values of eternity. God is at work in your life to make you more like Jesus. Every good thing and every difficult opportunity is an opportunity to let Jesus sharpen you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul's invited us to take an eternal perspective. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends or goes beyond all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Understand Paul's writing his letter from prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He's not saying that his situation is good. He's saying that God is good and can use every situation for good. So we need to choose the way we think. A few weeks ago, it was before chapel, and um, a girl asked me how I was doing. And I said, better than I deserve. <laughs> there you go. And she says, what? And I said, I'm doing better than I deserve. She said, why do you say that? And I said, because I'm doing better than I deserve. And she says, where'd you get that? And I said, I've been saying it for 20 years. Why? She says, Coach Babs says that. And she was all stoked that I would say it, confused a little bit. She was amazed that I'd say it. But it doesn't seem that amazing to me. I've been saying it for so long and I believe it so deeply. But I will tell you, I'm still learning this lesson. Most of you know I recently got a diagnosis that's not all that exciting. And if I had to choose to focus less on my health and more on how good God is to me, less on what the future might bring here and more on God's developing work in my soul so I become everything he wants me to be. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. God is at work in every situation. That's why it's reasonable to do everything without complaining or arguing. Even though it seems impossible, I challenge you today, I invite you to open your heart to him, to say, God, do something in me that I begin to choose an eternal perspective rather than an earthly one. I'm wondering, will you give God a chance to open your heart? a chance to help you obey this command that says do everything without complaining or arguing or will you just dismiss it? Will you say old guy ranting about a long time ago scripture 
but God's desire is to develop us in such a way that we shine like stars in the world. The prospective students, when they come, say there's something special about this place. That when we go out into the Marian community, people say there's something special about those Iwo students. When we go home for the summer or go overseas on a, some kind of cultural trip, the people look at us and say, I don't get it, I don't know what it is. There's something special about them. I wanna to talk to them and ask them. And we get to say, you know, I used to gripe all the time, but then I figured out how great Jesus is and what he's done for me. And so I choose to rejoice. Would you stand with us, please?